episode eight. This is FIA Goes PC, and we have reached episode eight. And this will be like part two of we were talking about video games last time. We're going to talk about video games this time, but we're also going to roll out into other areas, which is typical. And before we do that, I'll introduce the room. With us today, we have our producers always. Say hello, Winifred. Hello. And we have the Urban Oracle, aka Shaq. Say hello. Hello, people of the internet. And we have the real Urban Oracle, and Shaq has brought her along. <laughs> my darling girlfriend, uh, the one that I'm going to be with for the rest of my life. Pressure. So. Pressure. <laughs> A lot of pressure. <laughs> Say hello to the people, Ty. Hi, people of the internet. <laughs> hey. And around the world and in cupboards uh, all over the world, everywhere. Yeah. I assume listeners. Mostly we have cupboard dwelling listeners, pretty much. Yeah, so we have to start off as we always start off, uh, just wrapping up the week. Very interesting week. We had quite a special day, didn't we? We did. Midweek. Mm-hmm. Set up the scene for us. It was Wednesday. Yes, so we were 300 miles underground. That's correct. Uh, we were in a. What I can only describe as a bunker. Uh, it was very homely, but very uh, uh, sort of scavengery. As yeah, well. yeah. Well, I mean, to be fair, this is your your chill out place, isn't it? It is. Yes, your chill out place of choice. And we were we were filming in that chill out place. Of of course, there is actually a bit of artistic license here. We can't give any details away because we agreed from day one that we would never give out spoilers of the show. But it's quite a fascinating place to be 300 miles underground in Shaq's chill zone. So that's where you're enough to. Interesting. Whoops. Yeah, well, more like buries himself <laughs> in more ways than one. <laughs> but we had to go shopping, didn't we, to uh, to get your favourite foods? Yes, yes. From Japan. Yes, we did. Um we went to uh, many different Asian, uh, Japanese, Chinese sort of uh, supermarkets to get various different snacks. Ones that I enjoyed a little bit too much. Because oh, yeah. they were very, very addictive. <laughs> the panda cookies. Oh, those panda yeah. cookies. Oof, lovely. Yeah, they've destroyed many, many lives in, in Asia. We, we all kind of crave them in the middle of the night, go out in droves. I, that's not true at all. Uh, but once you do start them, you can't stop. I think that was a Pringles advert, wasn't it? I, I think, think so, wasn't it? yeah. Did he live and save me one? <laughs> Did he not? Ooh. I was, I was gonna, and then uh, I was on my way home, and I was like, I, I can't, I can't, I have to. <laughs> Interesting. <laughs> well, uh, it's, it's awesome that I can now cut the tension in the room with the chainsaw. <laughs> um, which is no, very you need, good. You need something a little bit stronger than a chainsaw yeah. to cut this tension. Yeah, it's true. Um, I could have said something very cryptic and clue as a hint of our next week's guest then. We're going to keep it a surprise until next week. A very surprised guest. A surprised guest. <laughs> they are very surprised. Well, of course. Well, <laughs> least guest surprised? Because uh, we're infiltrating their world and their world will never be the same again. I see. Was that when we broke into their house or was that a different type of infiltration? Their house is quite far away <laughs> and you should never, ever speak of the crime <laughs> after you've committed it. Whoops. We, of course, do not break into houses. This is a simple disclaimer. We are way more fascinated with caves, aren't we? Yes. That's the truth. Yes. We do enjoy our fair share of caves. That's why we're in one right now. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so, yeah, I, the, the cryptic clue is actually going to be like, I could cut the tension with a diamond cutter. That is the cryptic clue. 
of our guests next week. But that's it. You get nothing else. We'll save it until then. So video games, that's where we were. We will touch upon that in a minute. I wanted to just ask you, because the thing about Wednesday shoot, it is kind of secretive because we don't want to give too much away. But that was really incredible for me to watch you because this is your first pure acting experience, wasn't it? Yeah, that was my first uh, solo experience uh, acting. It was daunting as hell, but um, I managed to make it a little bit more natural later on. It's just there. Uh, at first, it was terrible. Well, even the pros at the top of the game mm. have that experience. But I think what, what for me was really encouraging about you, Shaq, was, again, you've got the patience, but it's also that you, you come to the realisation and there was a lot of takes. It was quite a heavy day because um, for the nature of the shot, we had to restrict any interference. Mm -hmm. And we were filming some of the busiest places around the city. Eh? So, yeah, there was a lot of patience required. There was a lot of angle set up uh, on the fly. I was getting stressed out probably due to the, the nature of the shoot. And you, you bared with me, which was amazing. The patience there was great. Um, no, I know you want something exactly right, and we, we, we need to get it like that because I know it will translate well on film. Well, it's, it, it, it's that, and it's also just the fact that, um, you know, when, when we usually work and we have sort of a sketch approach, but this was really filmic that we wanted, so it, it suddenly hits a different gear. And when now <laughs> we had that thing where we set up uh, top of the car park mm. in, the, in the ball ring, Mm. And uh, we were waiting for people. We just needed to walk down a specific corridor. And we were waiting and waiting and waiting for people to clear, right? But you kept it together. Mm. Whereas I think both Wynn and myself were out for blood that day, <laughs> to be honest. <laughs> it's unbelievable. Yeah, I, just, I just knew that because of how busy uh, Booming was anyway, um, getting 30 seconds of no people there was going to be difficult. Yeah, so yeah. I, I, I kind of mentally prepared myself. Well, it's, it's cool. And by this time, we'd done your training where mm. we made you walk down many streets to prepare <laughs> you for this yeah. amazing role of yours as mm. the walker of everywhere. <laughs> and uh, yeah, you nailed it. You got the pace right. Everything was good. And and honestly, like I'm going to say this to Ty in the room as well. Um He's got a lot of good instincts. So one day he's going to be an Oscar winning Ooh. or stealing. <laughs> no, it's stealing. Uh, <laughs> There's a lot of money in it. Uh, I wonder how much uh, Oscars go for on uh, you know, the old websites where you get I, stuff. It, I think it, it's regional dependent. Mm. <laughs> and, it's, and it's who won what. Because, <laughs> you know, there's a difference between best actor, uh, obviously, and uh, the guy that got the lighting design, right? Mm, mm. <laughs> it's a huge stretch in that department. And to be fair, production doesn't get enough credit, I think, when it comes to Oscars and stuff like that. Yeah, you got best actors. Yeah, you got uh, best music. But who really made sure the lighting was perfect? You never know. Well, it's also because every year, and you are right. You're absolutely right, like lighting and things. But I find it fascinating how every year the Oscars seems to get a new area to, to promote I think eventually the Oscars is going to take 18 hours as a ceremony <laughs> and it'll be things like the best Latino fusion dance for this scene in a international but Russian movie stuff like it's almost like degrees at uni they just come in wider and wider and wider as their subject matter anyway that's a whole that's yeah. a whole other day's conversation mm -hmm. but no I thought that your um your, your actual day it was quite amazing because, again, every single time we've gone out there and filmed with you, there's always been a realisation point where you've got it and the pennies dropped. 
And for us at this day, it was when you suddenly explored your character and it sort of this light went on in your head and everything became, like you were saying, natural. Yeah. But it was just what you then put into it. Mm-hmm. And on the playback, this stuff is so stupidly ludicrous. <laughs> but Shaq passes it as real. And that's what you want. You want that in any acting. So believability, right? And I had to bring this up because, again, it's such an offbeat thing for this show. Everything mm-hmm. is usually uh, unscripted. This was unscripted too. Mm-hmm. But it, it, it feels very strong. Mm-hmm. And and I'm glad you put the time in because yeah. it was worth it, eh? Yeah, definitely, definitely. I mean, I, I had to remember in my head that there were points that I had to... Like, I could have, oh, yeah. you know, it was, yeah, very, it, was very, um, it was very unscripted. Well, there, very there is literally no script, but there's bullet points. We kind of set up the improv with anchors, which yeah. is how you work improv. And some of this stuff got quite complex, eh? Because mm-hmm. your your language, I think even people reading a monologue would struggle with the language. Yeah. The words were quite hard to get out at yeah. some point. Yeah, definitely, definitely. I mean, the, the first part was uh, really, really difficult for me. But I don't know what happened with the second part, but I felt a lot more natural. Yeah, like, no, that's, that's, what, was, that's what was happening. Yeah. And it was like, I always say in film, and this is a bit of a tangent, but it's important to put out there, but I always say in film, you get to that kind of lucky take. Mm-hmm. And it's usually, in a feature film, it's around the 10th. And everything that follows the 10th take becomes magic, yeah. almost. And it's always why you why you thank uh, the powers that be and the spirits above us yeah. for... Um, digital equipment mm. because when this was real to real that day would have cost yeah terrifying amounts mm-hmm. loads of throwaway stuff loads of throw angles and takes and stuff but it's almost like you always get that 10th magic zone and that's where you were reaching mm. and the rhythm was there mm. so anyway props to Shaq his first real experience Yay. yeah oh, yeah yeah no it's really good Thank you. Thank and, you. Uh, I couldn't have done it without you guys, of course. You guys well, actually gave me the opportunity. It's, to... it's, it's a two-way street. Yeah. Because otherwise we'd been filming a blank room with no action. would have been, yeah. Which uh, we're saving for, uh, for, for the future. Yeah. For the abstract. Well, I want to do a ghost film from the uh, viewpoint of a ghost. That, okay. that, that no one lives in the house. It's been neglected for years. And obviously we can't get ghosts on film yet we haven't figured it out so it's just a room so it's just empty room. just a room for six hours i think it's a real good selling point that uh sounds genius run with that yeah, yeah. <laughs> oh i will i will run all the way to the bank that's a sellable concept yeah they'll say the acting's brilliant isn't it you know? mm. uh oscar award winning yeah the, the curtains they're... the curtains move just like curtains and everything you know in the breeze that. So realistic. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Actually, you're the right person to play the ghost, though. No, no one, no one plays a ghost. That's the point. We actually, yeah. we'll actually hire a real ghost. Um, First person perspective. Yeah, and and I'm actually gonna. Uh, yeah, yeah, it's a very transparent concept, though. Right? <laughs> I think. <laughs> I think I mean, it's. I think people will see through it. Mm. Uh, I mean, I think a, a few years down the line, you could make a spiritual successor as well. Yeah, I think so. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Could do. Yeah, like it's uh, even in the afterlife. Uh... <laughs> Wins losing it. Yeah, she's losing it. <laughs> so we've got pun heavy there. Uh, fantastic. So moving away now from filming in the process, uh, we will say that the uh, the Japanese uh, snacks and beverages. Maybe making a secondary appearance soon. They mm. were the star of the show, really, weren't they? On yeah. Wednesday. Mm. Yeah. We like to do uh, illegitimate product placement of things from around the world. <laughs> so uh, you'll see a lot of that in the show. But yeah, moving forwards then from there, 
we actually have to apologize today and it's it's really cool that Ty is with us because she's replaced the guy that couldn't join us from Virtual X and that's Connor. I think he just got busy. Mm. <laughs> we don't really know why he's not here. No, I think he got lost and busy all at once. Yeah, it's unfortunate for him not to be here. Yeah, it was because again, like when we were talking about the company and stuff, he was great on the day and very helpful, uh, very eager about what he does. And it's this great bunch of lads down there. Mm-hmm. Um, you could really tell that he was genuinely interested in games. Yeah, very, very interesting. Yeah. yeah, for sure. And it's it's just unfortunate, but certain things on the fly like this tend to like, you know, they they tend to happen. So uh, anyway, shout out to Connor. And just to finish the virtual X thing, a point that I didn't highlight last time, but I really wanted to highlight was the fact they're very safety conscious. Actually, something that we acknowledge about virtual reality, I think we all acknowledged it before we even went in there, was that a lot of people are kind of put off it because they see YouTube clips of people bumping into walls, smashing into... They they can they're concerned about the damage or the uh, <laughs> insurance claims I suppose, yeah. but they're very very sensible guys there and mm. they they guide you and they sort of coach you through it, mm. um, which is what we found and I just wanted to really kind of raise the awareness of that and also in the games you have like a kind of a red barrier mm. where you know where you're I think it's like a a sort of warning system yeah. that you're too yeah. close to so, warn. Um, while you're actually inside of the uh, virtual reality experience, uh, you do get to move around, but there is a point where you get too close to the wall, and when that happens, the game kind of shows you a grid. Like yeah, a, um, yeah. A grid like a change. sensor, yeah. Exactly. And the grid changes from um, from green to orange to red, depending on how close you are to the wall. Or an object. Yeah, or an object, yeah. exactly. So Basically it's, the same, similar system to yeah. how um, they're putting into cars, mm-hmm. for reverse parking and mm-hmm. the such. Yeah, definitely. Making things safe, I enjoy. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. So, uh, so you, you'll be fairly safe, yeah. I believe. Yeah. And it's also common sense. But the guys at the, uh, the shop are very, they care about that. And uh, it's been good. Mm-hmm. So we, we walk into last time, we're now on to the conversation again. Uh, of video games in Pete's absence. He's still in Florida. Mm-hmm. Still living it up over there. Still living it up. Send us uh, the odd photo mm. at like stupid o'clock in the morning, doesn't he? Yeah. Sends uh, me the PC photos. Sends yeah. you the very... Yeah, yeah. No. The, 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 the kind of checks right in. <laughs> Typical Pete in his domain. Uh, slaying unicorns. But anyway, so yeah, that's that. Um, and last time we were talking, we were touching up on the whole League of Legends thing. And you started to explain that before we ran out of time. Mm. So, moving on towards uh, that. Is there anything else you wanted to add to the point of that? Because you were trying to explain the game. Um, How long have you been playing it, for example? Oh, God. I've been playing it for far too long. I've been playing it for about five, six years now. And what was it curiosity that made you think about it? it kind of, yeah. Because um, back when I was in college, I, I, I was never a PC gamer. I didn't really play on my computer or... And then my friends all told me that playing on your, your computer is actually a good way to do it. So um, I thought, you know what, let me just see what it's like. So I got myself a really, really cheap old laptop and then started playing games on it. And I really enjoyed it. I know it's not for everybody, but I really enjoyed it myself. So um, I kind of thought to myself, OK, how can I build myself a real desktop computer, but the cheapest way possible? Because I was not really making <laughs> You made your own monster. I had to, I had to. Oh, right. So um, I got a, I went to um, an electronics shop and they had a really, really cheap sort of computer. And um, it was really, really old, uh, really, really bad. But the only thing I really needed from it was the motherboard and the CPU. Right, right, right. 
So uh, I bought that, uh, managed to take it home, tore apart everything about it, CD drive, everything, and then um, started putting certain really, really good like graphics cards and stuff like that in there. But then I realised that the actual computer couldn't handle it, like couldn't yeah. handle the yeah. powerful lines. That's actually, there. I'm going to stop you there, that's actually yeah. quite a common thing on yeah. self-built computers, because... In Asia, mm. I would just leap over there because my mate Rio Hay, who's almost your spitting image, mm. uh, he, you know, in, in, in what he likes and what he does, he's basically very similar. And he was saying the same thing. He actually reviews components of computers now. Yeah. He was saying the first thing people do is always the tragedy of overpowering yeah. the setup yeah. because you want the biggest and the best. In fact, we talked about this, I yeah, think, on, on one of the filming days where you get the biggest and the best, but it melts down. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you need a you need an industrial fan to keep it cool kind of a thing <laughs> so you you did what a lot of people do and yeah. i had to shout to rio because he's he's a, a computer builder master mm-hmm. i think it's a generational thing in in asia mm-hmm. everyone's doing it these days yeah. and it's awesome it's really cool but go back to your your take on it so mm-hmm. you overpowered it yeah kind of overpowered it yeah so um i kind of had to scale back the graphics I'm not going to get too technical with everything that I had to do, but basically I had to make it a little bit weaker so that I could get what I wanted out of it. Yeah. Um, put it all back together again, got a brand new case for it so that um, everything would actually fit inside there. And I'm still using that computer today. And oh, that's amazing. Years and years and years ago. So, um, well, you say five years on any PC <laughs> and that's good going. Yeah. That's yeah. real good going. There, there are certain components that um, kind of wore away, like I had to change the power, uh, the actual power block and um, some, some other components, yeah. but the base, like... The base of that uh, uh, computer that was on display, the last one they had that was really cheap, the basis of that is still in my computer today and it still still works pretty fine. So that's amazing. You better believe that I'm not allowed to touch it. No. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no one no one goes near that thing. No way. <laughs> no, that's I'm my baby. Sure. That's my ba- I mean, you're my baby. You already know that. <laughs> yeah. But it's my baby. Like, yeah. The computer's before me. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's, it's standard practice. <laughs> when when knows not to, to breathe on my PlayStation, for example. No, I'm joking. She's, she's cool. Um, the uh, thing is then, so do you play League of Legends too? Have you played it? Yeah, I'm not really a PC gamer, so I'm not really into... High five. Oh, I'm with you on that. We're all consoles yeah, here. Console yeah. gaming. But I will, against my will, watch the streams and, you know, I'll start to enjoy them. I know a little bit about the game. I'm not an expert. Mm. I can count the kills and certain <laughs> techniques and the Baron and the Dragon. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I know the difference. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I will watch the streams. I'm not a PC game, though, so I do not play. Yeah, really. definitely. I mean, um, I'll, I'll watch like tournaments and stuff like that. You already know I'm into yeah, esports. Yeah, yeah. That's actually something we'll approach is the esports thing. We yeah. didn't have time to, but yeah. Mm. Um, so do you not let Ty play on League of Legends? Because, um, you know, watching streams is... You know, that's like teasing someone. Nah, nah. You, know, you, can, really. you can watch I mean, this stuff. Yeah, Ty's not really... Oh, okay. <laughs> I'm messing with you. <laughs> but um, Ty wasn't really, like, too interested in League of Legends anyway. The biggest reason why she actually, like, pays attention to the streams is because I'm so interested yeah, yeah, in it. Yeah, yeah. So um, she gets the connection that way. But um, if it was up to her, she wouldn't really be yeah. uh, watching it that often. But um, Ty actually makes a lot of uh, uh, sort of observations that sometimes I don't even catch. Like um, she'll say, "Oh, this team's winning because they've taken towers, or they've taken this dragon." And I'm, I'm like, "Oh, yeah, yeah." yeah so this it's what you get with a console gamer. Mm. Smart. <laughs> <laughs> oh, no, 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 no. I'm joking. I'm joking. Yeah, yeah, no. I'm joking to the pa- to the point that I'm dead serious. There you go. No, um, <laughs> no. I mean, I've got consoles at home as well. You know, right now I'm playing with PlayStation Four. It's you know, it's almost it's before the PC and Mac. 
mm. promos, it was always console versus PC in games. Yeah. It's always been that like for years and years and years. Mm-hmm. And just to set it up and leave it there kind of a thing. I've had this conversation with many people through my life. Mm. Uh, PCs to me are really good sort of for esports for pro pro gamers, especially especially if you want performance mm-hmm, and you need a really strong and stable internet connection. Which again, it's not always around your PC; it's about the provider. But I always think feel they're good for strategy games, uh, mm-hmm. first person shooters, and the such. But I, I just think consoles. My opinion is that consoles are made for gaming, whereas mm-hmm. a PC is a multi-servicing platform. Definitely, I can understand. Um, that. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. So the this separation, I think, if you want the immerse uh, immersive experience without breakdown, mm-hmm. PCs break down quite. They a lot. do. They do. There can be a million things wrong with the PC, and you literally have to go through process of elimination yeah, to yeah. figure out what. Yeah, you're constantly being a detective of a Definitely. PC. Whereas if our console breaks down, it's usually because we haven't looked after it. Mm-hmm. It was made wrong at the start, or you're just an ear just <laughs> and tucking in the bath with you, which is never a good idea. Don't do that. Um, so yeah, that was random. That was random, wasn't it? <laughs> good. But one thing I will say is that the PC game market, especially with strategy games, is bleeding into mobile devices now. Yeah, and yeah, in, in Japan, with the MMO sort of craze that's been going on for mm. at least a decade, mm. you're getting that kind of... The, the sale is in a phone. There was words that Sony were trying to do an all-in-one handheld phone yeah. where you didn't need a Vita or a PlayStation anymore. It's all on your phone. Mm. Uh, there's been loads of these circulating because the, the console manufacturers in Asia are struggling to keep up the market of devices. Mm. And, of course, the die-hard loyalist PC. Mm. Guys, in fact, before we were talking to you, Shaq, yesterday, Win raised a good point because in Hong Kong there's a lot of these cyber cafes and we actually saw one whilst we were walking to, to location, do you remember in Birmingham? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Seen it. And really it was pretty much full of Chinese people, wasn't it? So, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Which, it was, yeah. It's, it's basically a lot of the uh, the Chinese guys, especially in Hong Kong, it's it's kind of their, I wouldn't say, it's, it's sort of hobby going to obsession. Mm-hmm. And one, one of the things Wynn raised with me, which gets a bit heavy, actually, was the fact that there's been a lot of accounts, especially over the last sort of six to eight years, where people have died mm. playing video games. Um, yeah, I've heard about that as well. Right, right, right. Like uh, deep vein thrombosis accounts or whatever. Or shut-ins or people who just don't eat or sleep. Yeah, there's the culture yeah. in of neats in Japan, which is the shut-in mentality. And um, you had, you, you've been flirting with addictions with games, haven't you? <laughs> A lot of the times, yeah. Like, big, the biggest reasons why I haven't really been, like, locked into my room just playing video games is because I need money to buy these video games. <laughs> and in order for me to get money to buy these video games, I must go out. you got to go out, yes. <laughs> exactly. So, um, but, uh, yeah, like, back when I was younger, when I didn't really need to care too much about money, I was all really, really, really into my games. Well, and it what, actually, was, it, was it the competitive eSport thing that got you hooked? Or was it just pure gaming that I got you hooked? Just, I think it was just pure gaming because um, gaming to me felt like a way for me to kind of be that person because I really liked fantasy, superhero games, that sort of thing. Yeah. So I really wanted to do these certain things, but obviously I couldn't do them in real life. So I used gaming as a way to do that. 
And then as things went on, uh, my friends, they I got friends that really got really into gaming. And so I would play with them and that would be fun as well. So I'd keep playing like that. Like when I got my computer, that's when I'd meet friends that looked into esports too, that really liked watching esports too. And they'd tell me streams to watch, yeah. uh, especially with League of Legends. So the friends are like, there's an online community. Exactly. And it's interesting because if you go back to the PS1 uh, era, mm. The Asian release PS1 was already connected mm. to the internet, but the things that came here weren't. Mm. So we weren't really connected until the Xbox Black Box, which is what I remember being one of the most popular uh, online experiences for the console market. With PCs, it's always been there because yeah. obviously it's integrated with MSN and all of this stuff, and it's almost grown up to kind of marry all of that together and bond it. Exactly. But like our computer is just known to have internet. Yeah, it's always yeah, just known of course, because it's a multifunction thing. You know, mm-hmm. um, I remember. I think it was pretty much World of Warcraft that started off for the West, anyway. The online gaming craze and the networking. There's been people that have married in real life that play yes. World of Warcraft yes. meeting online. It's a lot of people have kind of this skeptical look on games, but when you have, there's there's kind of three things, I'll start that positive, mm-hmm. and then I'll point out the negative, which we brought up with the cyber cafes in Hong Kong, but the three positives are, um, you legitimately do and can make decent friends and uh, communities online playing these games. Mm-hmm. That's, yeah, that's goes without saying, I feel. Yeah. Um, secondary, it is something of an activity. Esports, a lot of people have ridiculed in the press. They've said, how can you call it a sport? You know, it's just a competitive whatever. It is a sport because a lot of these guys have to train not only their reaction speeds and all of this stuff with wrist movement, but it's actually being pushed to be an Olympic event. Mm-hmm. Is that right? It is, yeah. Um, I, I've known of a lot of our pro players who actually spend 16 hours of the day playing this game, and then they'll go out, you know, activities and that sort of thing, and they'll come back and they'll keep playing this game to maintain their uh, ability to be the best. Yeah, and, and you're, seeing, the same and you're seeing it cross-media now, because yeah. the exposure started off as a bit of a joke, I feel, mm-hmm. <clears throat> where people were ridiculing it. And nowadays, it's almost like you get this kind of like idea where there's actually uh, a pro-line set up with sponsorships, there's cafes set up, uh, mm-hmm. there's actually trainers and yeah. coaches. Yeah. So it's, it's quite amazing to see that growth. What are the top eSport games, would you say? Um, League of Legends definitely is one right. of them. Um, Dota is uh, very similar to League of Legends, but it was there before. And League of Legends kind of like founded its uh, principles on Dota. Um, so there's those two. Um, another big one that's creeping off is Overwatch, as you right. know about. Yeah. Um, but the biggest problem with Overwatch, and I'm probably going to lose fans here, but um, <laughs> if I had any to begin with, but um, the biggest problem with Overwatch is the fact that it's a really, really fun game to play but not a very fun game to watch simply because there's so many things happening at once as people flying high into the Well, it's also, it's also fair to say that Overwatch is developed almost to be an, an arcade experience as mm-hmm. well. Like, it's very quick. Mm-hmm. To me, I when I first played Overwatch, Ty, do you play Overwatch? I don't play Overwatch. It's, I'm just really not into PC gaming. Although well, you can, you, you can hit it on the consoles. Yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. I, 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 play, I play on the PlayStation. Oh. If you do... We'll we'll let you have a go at it because I think she'll beat us. Yeah, like, definitely. Yeah. She looks, she, she's she looks got that shooters yeah. anyway. So definitely, right, once right, I right. once I go Overwatch, I'll let you play, and then you'll destroy everybody online. But yes. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, that's, that's our secret weapon. <laughs> yeah. We'll be doing rubbish, and then we'll get tired to just finish off for us, and we'll be amazing. <laughs> 
But the the point about Overwatch is it's made by the guys that made Warcraft and everything Blizzard. And the thing that's quite incredible about it is it is like an arcade experience. The first time you really play it, it literally makes you think you're doing that quasar laser tag thing. Mm. You know, like it, it, it's that relevant. It's almost like a pastime. Mm. And it's just quite unique. It's very much a universal game. There's no... It's not mature enough to kind of uh, be like a Call of Duty bloodbath. Mm. And it's definitely not weak enough to be said it's a Disney, mm. you know, inspired shooting game. It's yeah. somewhere in between, but it's really fun. Mm. Um, the one thing is that that fun does wear out. Because mm. I find a lot of Overwatch is about collecting boxes to get <laughs> to get new, new clothing or whatever. Um, yeah. But at the same time, it is quite a satisfying game. There's... Mm. There's a lot going on, and it's constantly updating. There's there's mm. new things happening all the time. Yeah. So being the fact that these these esports, I did say there's a third positive. I think the third positive is that people are more aware these days of um, what is hardcore uh, competitive gaming or entertainment gaming. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's sort of falling into a, a rhythm, and people are opening their minds to the idea that this is legitimately an entertainment industry yeah. that rivals Hollywood. Mm-hmm. Now, mm-hmm. often in cahoots with Hollywood, with yeah. Warner Brothers having their own gaming department and label, etc., etc., mm-hmm. and inspiring stories in Hollywood. Yeah. You know, yeah, Assassin's Creed just being one of them, but this has been going on since, you know, Street Fighter and beyond. Mm-hmm. But they always kind of hit the mark, but Assassin's Creed nailed it, I feel. Yeah, yeah. the new Assassin's Creed game looks absolutely stunning. To me, it looks better than any other Assassin's Creed game that has ever been made, simply because... I think, and you'll have to check me on this, but I think that after Assassin's Creed Syndicate, Ubisoft took like about two years out, I think, to really make Assassin's Creed Origins. That'll probably have to be checked, but I think because they said at first that Assassin's Creed was going to be annual, so a lot like Call of Duty oh, yeah. and FIFA, where yeah. they made it yearly, yeah. Yeah. and then they realised that they were actually losing quality for that reason. Well, I think, so. I think um, any game... Uh, and it's really the film as well. The the fast bend the film is actually like um, it's almost an Assassin's Creed story in, in itself mm. that separates itself from the game. Yeah. So it's almost like it's not trying to reenact the game. It's mm. trying to give you an extra slice of the mythology yeah. as a movie, which I thought was super clever. A yeah. lot of a lot of films try and recreate the games and mm. fail miserably. Yeah. Um, yeah. I see that quite a lot. Yeah. Like. Many. I'll mention that because I don't want to insult anyone. But with the Assassin's Creed one, they were clever in the fact that they separated it as its own entity within the game world. Mm. When we talk about Origins, just to hit your stride, I think they did. Like Basically, Ubisoft, like many game uh, departments and and, uh, developers now, they have separate sort of companies and, and developers around the world. So they'll get one uh, company to sort of research and develop a concept for the two years or even 10 years like GTA 5 was the 10-year process. Uh, Final Fantasy as well was, Mm -hmm. it's always a continuing process. And they'll get different development uh, teams to to pull off the games. And then I think what was happening was we were getting oversaturated. Mm -hmm. Ubisoft, especially last year, had so many titles in one year that it was almost like... Man, that's Ubisoft too. Like everything became that, and I think that it's uh, it's good that they're taking a chill pill yeah. because you've got to kind of re-approach. Like the thing about Assassin's Creed is you don't want to just play the same experience and have the scenery change and it be more or less the same thing. Yeah. That's I, literally what was happening. That was well, the exception being Black Flag. Even yeah. Syndicate's slightly different because Syndicate's more um, 
about gang. Mm. You know, it's it's quite special syndicate because it's kind of again, it's got an arcadey feel to it. Yeah, and the whole Jack the Ripper stuff was quite amazing. Yeah, definitely. Um, but with the the concept of Black Flag, that took development time, and mm. that was one of the most ambitious game titles I've ever seen. Mm-hmm. It was insane. Not yeah. only is it so big, you don't know where it ends. It's ridiculously well done. It um, is, yeah. And that was like the cusp launch of the PS3 and 4 when they released an option where you could get, if you had the PS3 game, you mm. could get it rendered. It had the PS4 one on the same disc almost, yeah. the coding. And yeah. I loved that because that actually made me think, man, PlayStation's really a PC now. Mm. Because they always did that on PCs. If your graphic card wasn't a certain level, they had to render it down and you can yeah. mess with that. And yeah, you definitely. Had, you had the option to make it better. Yeah, there so, was always a way to like, if your computer isn't as powerful but you still want to play yeah. these new games, there was always a way to scale it yeah, yeah. to actually... And high res and all of this. So it, it's it's kind of fascinating really how, how that is developed. But I agree, the new uh, Egyptian yeah. Assassin's Creed does look ridiculous. And, uh, you know, fair, fair play. Do, do you play any of these? No. No? no. What's what's what is your kind of area? So um, I am into first person shooters. I do like my violent, more violent games, especially on console console gaming like PS4. Um, I, I do love a violent game, but I'm more into like the Marvel universe and Disney. So I have recently been you know introduced to Square Enix Final Fantasy. Yeah, um, I'm, I'm I'm gonna put a milestone on this. I'm gonna, just gonna put a peg because we're gonna tap exactly that in a minute because that's actually great that you've brought that up it, it triggers me off and it rushes the process because I, I start talking and I'll just <laughs> never stop so just the three things now we've discussed the positives and just before we attack what Ty brought up which is really where we're going in this conversation the three negatives mm. here um, that mm-hmm. video games get quite a lot and there's possibly more than three but I'm, I'm whittling it down because we don't want a big debate the first one is the overplaying and the addiction. Yeah. Yeah. Um, what do you feel, having gone through something similar, because there's a few people I've met that have gone through something similar, what do you feel the addiction is? If you explain it from your own perspective. Personally, and uh, I don't want to make things a little bit too doom and gloom or yeah. anything like that, but um, personally, uh, things weren't great with me back when I was younger. So um, I used games as a, a great way to escape yeah. all that. Well, escapism uh, is... Definitely. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And um, when I played games, I didn't think about everything that was going on uh, before. I really just thought about my next mission in the game or the next person I had to see, the next person I had to fight, how I'm going to beat this boss, yeah. strategy, yeah. thinking, yeah. really, really thinking about what I'm going to do in the game. So that when I turned it off, I was like, Phew, that was a really good use of my time. Yeah. I really, really enjoyed it. It's like time. an achievement, I would imagine, that you, you were thinking achievement Mm-hmm. Uh, distraction and escapism all Definitely, at once. So, so, so the addiction isn't actually an addiction. It's mm-hmm. more therapy. Mm-hmm. And I feel like what you've just said is actually something that a lot of parents around the world, especially in Asia, I believe, would be interested in hearing. Because if there is this distortion, mm-hmm. it's usually the reason a kid goes off and does anything with all of its strength. You know, the, the child, be it he or she, goes into something with an obsession mm-hmm. is usually for exactly the three reasons that you said. Mm-hmm. And I think that's something that when you hear these nightmare stories yeah. of, of people dying in internet cafes, mm-hmm. it's the same thing. It's mm-hmm. got to be the same combination, yeah. you know. So 
you can argue that that is down to you know many more factors in the video game itself. Mm. And the other thing, that, mm. which is literally the segue, and thanks for sharing that. That, mm. that was uh, that was awesome. But the second element of this is the bad press. Mm. How we always have, um, and it used to be film when yeah. I was younger, because obviously, whatever media takes full front in the in society and in, in popularization, it always gets blamed and mm-hmm. it gets. Uh, people trying to, uh, I suppose, exploit the success. Mm-hmm. And one thing that we've been dealing with uh, was that feature films, when I was a kid, were to blame with a lot of violent crime, yeah. a lot of uh, reaction murders and all of this stuff. And I feel like video games getting that now. Yeah, definitely, definitely. It's one of the things that I hear the most where when I'm doing my job. Um, a lot of uh, of the older generation are worried about the certain games that um, the younger generation play and actually come in and actively blame uh, the bad things yeah. that are happening in this world on the games. And um, I've never really been able to uh, sort of reciprocate that sort of feeling because the way I see it is you have grown up and people have taught you and people have told you what is right and what is wrong. Going out and hacksawing somebody to death yeah. is wrong. Yeah, it's wrong, yeah. <laughs> well, it's, it's, it's like because that's an extreme, but I think at the foundation you've also got to think like games have certifications. Now, when anything becomes more realistic and it becomes explored as an escapism, it's mm-hmm. the principal uh, thing that people do. Mm-hmm. Rivaling film yeah. um, it is pretty much the king of the hill, I think. Video mm-hmm. games have possibly even overtaken as the main source of global entertainment. And you've got to look at it more like this. If things are certified, just like movies were, it's at your discretion. Now, a lot of people can say, well, I don't mind my uh, 12-year-old watching a 15, you know, certified film at a stretch if we're all watching with an 18. Mm. But it has lasting effects. You know, you've got to think about desensitization. So if you're exposed to sort of Call of Duty at the age of four, yeah. and then you have to play something like Overwatch, you've got it backwards, as yeah. in you want the blood, the guts, and the gore, because yeah. that's your association, and mm-hmm. anything that doesn't have it, it seems childish to a four-year-old. And that's kind of what's happening. Like, I think parents have to be more aware it's their responsibility. It's not funny. I don't think there's any humor in letting a kid play Resident Evil 7 just to see how scared the kid gets. Mm-hmm. I think I think that's actually liability for abuse. Mm-hmm. But it's almost like you got to look at this because I understand that there are kids out there in different mentalities that can mm-hmm. look at a video game and instantly disassociate uh, that it's real, yeah. like win. She's always been immune to the pixel world. She doesn't believe in it. So it's always like, I'm always going to be watching a video game. That separation is good. So the the kid can handle possibly more mature themes. But still, it's to discretion. And I feel like the media's job in this, which is like the witch hunt they always attack Mm. with anything in entertainment, be it music once, Mm. be it then film, now it's uh, video games, to actually socially blame... Mm video games for a problem yeah is almost akin to denying that society could be actually the, exactly. the reality of the problem yeah would you agree with that yeah definitely i mean adults um all the time like back when it was music and uh film they would feel that uh, okay i'll let him listen to this or i'll let him uh, uh watch this because he can't control what's happening there yeah but 
the real thing that they're worried about when it comes to games is you can choose to walk up to this person and, and her, slap them. Yeah. You can choose to well, you know I, move around and uh, do this. Yeah, thing. and it's 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 kind of something that has spawned into like parody. Uh, a lot of things, like even The Simpsons, has dealt with this subject within their video games and on the TV show. Um, I think that to just put this in a nutshell, because it's something that bothers me one possibly because you know i grew up in the era just after like people were saying like if you listen to black sabbath you know you're a satanist or you've got it's the disassociation there was a lot of this going on in the 80s with bands that i liked iron maiden who actually are a heavily christian band Mm. and in their lyrics there's a lot of uh, religious stuff but it's actually pro-christian we're getting battered for their imagery and they were saying are you all devils and all of this you know and we've always had this kind of witch hunt mentality where we've stigmatized something we don't fully understand. And I think that people in this day and age, especially with video games, especially considering this is your work, you know, your day job um, in retail and stuff, there is a mutual responsibility. You've got to clearly understand that certifications are there for a reason. Mm -hmm. Um, That's a general rule, but I just feel like, that's society. That's yeah. nothing to do with principal entertainment. And we have to separate those two elements and Definitely. stop blaming. Mm. You know, like if, if I watch, for example, a horror film, I'm there to watch a horror film to do what? Laugh? <laughs> to, to suddenly think, oh, how great life is. I'm there to get horror. That's yeah. why it's called a horror film. Exactly. Exactly. So it's almost like, you know, things are designed to escape in a certain environment. If you like that kind of thing and you love the kind of rush of being afraid, Mm -hmm. some people really do. I can't quite figure them out. Um, But if you do like that, then obviously that's catering for you, but be aware that you, you know, you need to be able to handle that because someone who can't might get traumatized by it. Exactly. Exactly. Everybody has um, different mentalities about everything. And then um, the games that I play are very whimsical and fantasy because I've got that sort of mentality. Yeah. I've got that very sort of um, fantasy sort of um, escape. Kind of yeah, exactly. But exactly. I think one thing, and I'll tie those things two to, together, one thing that is dead uh, true, <laughs> dead true, extremely true about video games is they do give you, in a sense, of achievement. And as Shaq pointed out, at discretion of parents everywhere, if your kid is finding achievement in going around chopping people's heads off on a video game, be very concerned. Mm-hmm. Just talk to your kids and, and, and try and understand it because it could be innocent. It could just be that they're yeah. one of these little chaos troublemaker like munchkins out there mm-hmm. or whatever. But just talk to them. That's that's kind of, you always have to have communication. Don't let video games or television or even films babysit your kids. Yeah. It's a bad call, man. Exactly, and just uh, just don't tell them that they can't play this. Talk to them, sit down, and then well, that's it. Give yeah, them, give them reasons why communication you're concerned about it. Yeah. Of course, yeah, of course. that's only our opinion. Of course, mm. uh, you will do what you want to. Yeah, yeah we can't control the world, and that's well, we're working on it. Shall <laughs> we? we are working, we are on, working it. on it. We've got our uh, we got our scientists in the lab trying to come up with that answer right now. Of course, we have no lab, mm. and if we did, it'd be three hundred miles underground. The third element of the video game world i've been provoked by our producer because i I did say threes and i've only mentioned two the third one is uh i think it's basically like i feel um possibly the fact that there is like a neglected sort of understanding on the the communication element it's almost like the whole market is 
kind of casts away a lot of adults and and this goes to kind of highlight the two reasons we just said before but a lot of adults out there grew up in my time or before even video games were like even out there and they've seen the evolution just like we have just like i have um from sort of your 8-bit and beyond uh to what it is now yeah and a lot of people still associate video games as a kind of very tongue-in-cheek um wasted experience you know like they see mario when there is now mario you know what yeah. i mean like mario's developed it's now a world it's mm-hmm. now a thing it's a spectacle yeah there's actually like lore and there's actually like um the reason why this world is this way oh yeah it no it's developed when, when before it was just like oh i'm just well i mean yeah. i think what you got to think about in the eight bit days yeah. um it was all about imagination yeah. um it was imagination that made you uh and it was almost like i always see this in the indie game market too as opposed to the uh main funded license in games that get released the triple a's or whatever mm. i always feel that um when you watch Na- uh mario <laughs> had a slip there <laughs> when you watch mario back in the day as 8-bit you're you're playing it mm. like there's a definite i am playing a video game and you're kind of watching graphics and then you listen to the sound effects and you you the simplification of all of it was yeah. like why you you played it and it was pretty much the same brain part of you mm-hmm. that played tennis mm-hmm. or something like this you know that it was an activity you know that your mates are there um you don't take it too seriously you're not digging into it mm-hmm. and then Zelda happened yeah. even then and Zelda then said well we're not going to do a side scrolling thing mm-hmm. we're going to do a top thing and we're going to make you understand this world yeah. entirely yeah. and it was the principle of way back in the day we had these games where it was all typing games yeah. where you'd have these stupid little pixel gimmicks uh, will you take the left or type Al uh, yeah. you know what I mean like yeah. make your own adventure game. yeah 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 mm-hmm. uh, which was a kind of evolved game book which mm. was the original format of that but basically i feel like our parents a lot of parents around the world because they grew up with that they look at games as if it is that still and we were talking about final fantasy as the evolution of something like zelda but final fantasy is like so immersive yeah definitely. you know and definitely. it's it, it it i i think everyone that remembers especially the first one that reacted globally mm-hmm. which was seven I think every, it's almost like life. Everyone remembers if they played it, and most people did. Yeah, um, they remember where they were, what they were doing. Exactly. Do, do you know what I mean? Exactly. Like it was yeah. that big a deal, and it was same with Resident Evil. Yeah, I just remember that when things in the game market started turning into that kind of let's make them believable as opposed to these side-scrolling things, mm-hmm. you were getting a different world reaction, mm-hmm. and that's I think what people completely lost their mind and, and just said, well, no, nah, a video game is just Mario. Mm-hmm. I know for my dad, uh, who grew up in the 40s mm-hmm. and beyond, mm-hmm. he can't take it seriously until you spell it out to yeah. him and sit him down and sort of show him. Yeah. And the immersion is there. So I feel like the fact that people don't take the gaming industry serious as you know society or whatever that, that can look at it cynically can turn into those uh, social views that lead us to these three awkward problems. When you disrespect the medium of a video game with ignorance, yeah. you're looking at this thing that you feel is a simple task like playing tennis. It's mm. actually become a lot more, and there is a huge leap from something like a Wii, mm. which is centered around a family as an activity, mm. to 
Resident Evil 7 or exactly. the, the you know these these shooting games like Call of Duty and in my opinion humble opinion of course mm-hmm. kids should be steered clear because it's desensitizing them it's not like I'm saying it's bad for the kids I'm not saying that it's arguable that it is I'm saying that it's you you you're kind of giving them no um sort of thing to achieve it's almost like you're taking away their principle of their right to grow into these things yeah. you know it's always a concern yeah, it's like if you have all of it at start, mm. when you get to 18, you're like, you're done with it, you know, mm. and it's it's better to kind of get the imagination growing like a rite of passage, Yeah, is my opinion. Yeah, yeah, definitely. I mean, sometimes um, kids should start with like, you know, crayons, uh, drawing. And yeah, do like activities, like or even if it is in video game, well, stick with the lighter app games. Yeah. I remember Bubble Bobble being something, yeah, exactly. you know, things like that. Exactly. Pokemon goes good, yeah. but don't throw them in a the deep end. Mm. It's to me... It just takes away the free will of it. Like, yeah. it takes away... Because I was always excited that when I got to 18, I'd be able to watch 18 certificate movies. That, yeah. to me, was excitement. And literally, a load of my friends didn't have that. Because mm-hmm. they watched them at the age of six. Yeah. That's just tragedy. But mm-hmm. it's all... A, it's. I mean, I'm not going to dictate, but, you know, that's my opinion. So, moving on, then, to something that Ty brought up. We, uh, we started to talk about the Marvel... Uh, we hit the Marvel thing there. Um, this is kind of where I wanted this to go. We were talking about Final Fantasy and Square Enix. And it's a good segue because the same people who are creating a Final Fantasy games have got licensing to do an Avengers game. But yeah. it's kind of hitting a wall or something. Like, there's not... It's very secretive, yeah, to put it mildly. Definitely. I think it's because um, Square Enix, like, as a whole, they know that uh, their games that are out now that people are thoroughly, thoroughly enjoying... And they know that there are still people that are still going to buy Final Fantasy XV and Kingdom Hearts when it comes out. It could be that. It could also be the ambition of the project is insane. It could also be that they're waiting for the Marvel Universe to be completed its third tier. I don't know, but it's out there. We've seen the trailers. Um, But you were saying, Ty, like Marvel is pretty much what you're into these days, yeah? Yeah, Marvel is uh, probably one of the biggest biggest things I'm into other than Star Wars. Okay. (laughs) Um, but yeah, so there is a lot of pressure for Square Enix. It's it's a really big decision to take on a project like this because if it doesn't go so well, it's a lot of people that's going to yeah. It's like, it, and it's also where do you start because yeah. like there's so many Marvel experiences going back into the. Um, I mean, I don't know how long you've been following Marvel. A lot of people have followed since the uh, cinematic world was released. Yeah. When we were kids, we got dribs and drabs of it. It was never really something that fully exploded in the UK. It was always quite cultish. Um, you'd find it in a comic shop or whatever. It was always the most expensive, that mm. in DC, because yeah. it was obviously most popular, yeah. even back then. Yeah. My daughter would always tell me about the comic, like the superhero movies that we watch today. Oh, She'd always go back and say, this is how it was in the comic books. And yeah. this is how it is today. Yeah, yeah, yeah. See, always telling me, giving me backstory. And it's, it's, one and of these, it's one of these amazing, because I, I remember they had a few attempts at creating a universe before and it always fell short and um, it was pretty tragic. Like they do interpretations of the original Captain America from the sort of, I, I want to say late 80s. I think it was actually mid, mid to late 80s. And it was awful. You know, there's a lot of dreadful attempts at it. Mm. Batman Batman was the first thing, Tim Burton's take on Batman was the first thing to put the spotlight back onto the fact that you could do it in film. Mm. And I feel like with this game here, you've got, you know, you've got to battle the fact that a lot of people have only experienced superhero, um, especially Marvel stuff, as a beat-up kind of street fighter game. Yeah. 
Yeah, Marvel versus Capcom, that's all. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Or some kind of like top down, uh, a little bit like League of Legends, Legends, yeah. yeah. Uh, strategy stroke action game. Mm-hmm. I, I feel they're going to throw out everything in the kitchen sink at this. Like, it'll be an open world, huge RPG. That's what I'm hoping for. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And that just takes so much time to lay the blueprint down. I mean, Square Enix is known for their uh, characters as well. So they're going to make sure that every single character in Marvel, if they carry on with this game, they're going to make sure that every single one of the characters are fleshed out, are believable, are uh, emotion-driven, and very, like... Like I say, they're gonna tell a story, man. Definitely. And I, I don't know if they're aiming to do a first-person thing. Uh, there's a lot of rumors and speculation about it, but because it's locked down in secrecy, it's amazing. But it it goes without saying. Like this is the thing that I find quite fascinating with the Marvel world as it stands. It's like because um, actually Ty just mentioned about Star Wars and and um, the Marvel relevance. What's crazy to me is to think that again when we were kids. There was no real presence. I think Marvel was always something that I preferred because I preferred the visuals. I preferred the the fact that it had light of humor in it. Mm. Um, I was a massive fan of Spider-Man. I think everyone was, you yeah. know. And it, it, the, the universe was so almost complicated. It was so stupid at the same time that you laughed at it. Yeah. And, and it laughed at itself and it wasn't afraid to. And I just remember, like, we grew up with, like, like I said, it was sparse. You'd have the odd cartoon here. The series of Spider-Man was on TV a lot. Then you'd have the beginnings of, like, the Superman world would start, suddenly become animated. Then the, the big uh, Batman animated series from the 90s started mm. to be released. Yeah. But the focus, especially with DC, was very minimal. But then you had, like I said, the Tim Burton film, and that put an onus into the movie world. And... Just think, that was like literally 989 Batman. And when you just think of how it's grown, especially since 2000, it's almost like they, I, I either feel like they were waiting for technology to catch up, mm-hmm. to do it right and justice. But it's almost like it's quite amazing when you hear the generation below you, you know, mm-hmm. it's talking so heavily about something that, that started in the 70s, you know. Yeah. Yeah. And isn't that quite amazing? So what's the appeal to Marvel and Star Wars to you? Well, I kind of... My father and my uncle, they kind of grew up drawing comics. So right. I was always brought up around, you know, comic books and the pictures, the story. And it just kind of appealed to me that way. So then when I started getting into it myself, I was like, okay... So now I have to pick a side, now I have to pick a universe. And I feel like Marvel just really appealed more to me because it's got more of... Oh, it's it's hard to explain. Like, it's got more things that I'm attracted to. So, like, as you said, the humour, like, I much prefer it. Like, I will watch a a DC film, you know, like Suicide Squad, it came out. Mm -hmm. It was a really good film. Um, not everyone thought so, but I did. Um, <laughs> yeah, quite. But I think I think it's safe to say that you're like you you came into this with the the cinematic explosion, yeah. right? And a lot of people do. And my experience of this is we have friends in Hong Kong that I know for a fact back in the nineties would never know what a comic book was if it hit them in the face. Mm-hmm. Like our comics, like the Western side of comics, they know their own, of course, the Asian manga and all of this. Yeah. But it's like I think what's really apparent is that there's generation of people again that weren't exposed to it, that have become elitist, critical 
master, you know, yeah. like they'll tell you everything about everything. Yeah. But that's yeah. what the, the that's what the inspiration has done. Like the cinematic universe has literally put it on the map and made it a thing. Yeah. And it was never a fashion. It was always a cult, you know, the mm-hmm. the, the, the concept of following it mm-hmm. was always a cult mentality. Like everyone had their favorite comics and stuff like this. And DC and Marvel actually did a lot of joint projects together in comics, mm-hmm. you know, because they were friendly rivals. Mm-hmm. Which is always good to have. Yeah. But I just feel like um, since the universe has exploded on cinema, there's like, I, I remember like 19-year-old kids, I was having an argument with that. Say kids. Sorry, everyone. 19, <laughs> you're not a kid, but you know what I mean. Yeah. Just, just just, give me a break. Um, but I, I, I had these arguments with them in the States. I remember having them. When they were telling me all of this stuff that happens in in the seventies comics and you know all of the old eighties yeah. comics, and I'm like, you you uh, you weren't alive. Like, <laughs> I wasn't even alive for some of what you're talking about, and yeah. you know. But it's cool. I think the passion is is amazing, and to see this split between the Marvel Cinematic, you actually phrase it like, "I got to pick a universe." You don't have to pick nothing. You can just go into it open mindedly and just say. One's yeah. a different color and one's a different taste and that's it. But I think it's interesting that you said that because that's branding, you see. Yeah. When branding comes into play, they get you to deliver. Like, it's kind of like a football team or how politics is being preached to us these days. Yeah. Pick your side, pick your team. And they even sold Civil War doing that. You know, Iron Man or, or Captain America, you know. Yeah. It's clever marketing, but just just so you're cool, don't worry about any like there is no loyalty to uh, superficial, yeah, fictitious universe. <laughs> don't worry about it too much. There'll be people that are, are ready to like yell at me for saying it, but you know it is what it is. I think it's kind of interesting because with Marvel, I think it's uh, an all around entertainment. I think it gets deep when it has to get deep, but it's silly for the best part. It doesn't take itself overly mm. serious. The characters are more easy to get into, I feel. Like, DC, to me, always came off like cold steel. It mm. almost had this kind of ultra-real yeah. taste, yeah. you know? Very, very dark and it set Well, not necessarily it. dark, but... but <laughs> I want to say this about insulting, but if we're talking in, like... It, it didn't have pizzazz. It was almost like... You know, this is this. Yeah. It's like the Green Lantern core is this, bang, there you go. The uh, Superman is this, bang, there you go. Batman is this, bang, there you go. Yeah. Whereas Marvel is almost like Peter Parker was just a bloke got bitten by a spider and now mm. he's a superhero. And yeah. he's not even sure he wants to be, you know. Yeah. And it was almost more human. Yeah. And then you had how you've got, for a good example, is Deathstroke in the Batman universe and Deadpool in the Marvel Universe. Mm. You know, Deadpool is like a parody of Deathstroke, but it's also like a parody entirely. Yeah, this embodiment of clown, everybody. you know, it's amazing. Yeah, And that's something Marvel are gladly doing that DC can't do. And mm. I think one of the problems people had with Suicide Squad, because you brought it up, <laughs> was that when the original Suicide Squad concept was being pulled together, I think that they were looking at it to be nothing but dark, dank almost a horror film mm. you know in its concept but then deadpool comes out and blows out the summer literally that becomes the best film you've seen that year you know yeah. f- through entertainment and i think they all the writers were there panicking like oh oh <laughs> they actually like comedy in yeah. this yeah. oh okay and because people were complaining at the time you know superman had been a bit too serious after the nolan days it was getting a bit deep and all of this stuff it's almost like the DC world was actually capable of Oscars at this point because 
the Chris Nolan trilogy was Oscar worthy, you know, uh, and then you have the pressure of if, if that's my audience, I've got to do something that's an Oscar nominated movie at the end of this. And then there's the other side of it. Like I've got to make something that's fully comic book entertainment that rivals the Avengers, you know? Yeah. And so you're somewhere in the middle and then suicide squad is your angle of, well, we can do so funky and cool because it's director training day, mm-hmm. which was an amazing film. The guys got this uh, urban knowledge and what the streets need and that, that kind of gangster realm and also just hip and cool dialogue, etc. Place that into the DC world. You've got something serious, but you've got something kind of funky and adult-like, I suppose, that's not got the pressure of being an Oscar-winning thing, but could be, you know, mm. like an accidental one. I feel like that's, what, that's where the best... I feel like that's where it just achieves its goal. Like, it's just so entertaining. Especially with people like... Or, oh, sorry, sorry, characters like Deadshot. He's amazing. Like he's, <laughs> he's serious, but then he's funny. Yeah. And although he's got a completely different life with his daughter and his ex-wife, mm. he's like, he's a, a contract killer mm. who will miss a shot miss because they don't have money in their bank account. Like, and then he will ask for an extra amount well, of money. Well, I think this is exactly what I'm saying. I think they rounded it up to, because of Deadpool's, um, basically before these two films, they, these two films we're talking about being Suicide Squad and Deadpool yeah. came out months within each other. Mm. And it to me, it's almost like, the direction DC is going in is that kind of, well, Nolan established this insanely inspired way of looking at everything where you've got to make everything realistic. Mm-hmm. So if Batman legitimately existed, it's going to be this guy, he's going mm-hmm. to have this stuff, and it's going to start from a raw place and end yeah. up where it goes. Yeah. I feel like they're trying to do that and apply that to every character now. You mm-hmm. know, um, with what he said about uh, Deadshot, it's like the concept of, humanizing what wasn't before human like in the comics he doesn't have that concept he's just a cold kind of terminator almost you know like the punisher kind of realm of thought mm. i could be wrong they could have origin stories all over the place it's such a big universe there's, <laughs> there's always a take of something mm. but i think in the film they made that happen they bring they bridged it with comedy due to deadpool because there was a reshoot period where they had a film set up and then you suddenly heard like the news, it's going to be dark, it's going to be kind of intense, it's looking for an R-rated, you know, whatever. It's not confident about the R-rating. Then Deadpool said it was cool to have an R-rated movie. Yeah. Like, you know, um, they were worried about a lot of elements with Suicide Squad, but I think the original delivery was going to be quite dark. Mm-hmm. And due to Deadpool's success, they put in, they injected reshoots, about six months of reshoots to make it lighter. Mm. And I think one of the elements was what you just said. I think I, I personally, as a fan of Will Smith, would have actually liked to cynic on the other way, where it was actually him being really dark. We've never really seen that in Will Smith. We've always seen drama. We've seen some tragedy, but we've never seen this kind of cold side to his character. I was hoping it would be that for him because as an actor, that's kind of what you want. And I'm sure he wanted that too, but they kind of raised up the comedy. I think the profile of it became the concern that, you know, if we do something too dark, we've literally walked away from all the youth, Yeah, you know, and if we do something that's a bit more family orientated and bring that rating back Mm. down, or even if the rating is, high because of the comedy mm-hmm. you know mm-hmm. we've got something which is what Deadpool was all about so it's, it's interesting to me like how these it's almost like they're operating these films in the DC universe 
with a lot of paranoia mm. where it's like um, because obviously film itself is very much an audience participation process as a producer of film. Yeah. But I feel like it's quite interesting that you raised that because I think that's what a lot of people, especially when, when I went into Suicide Squad, actually the things that you're saying that you liked is actually one of the things that I really did not like about it. Um, not because you're wrong. I think it was entertaining. I think the portrayal of entertainment in the film was fantastic. Yeah. It was very entertaining film from start to end. Um, there was some clever stuff, the shots and, and certain angles and just the way they introduced a lot of kind of hit narratives to it was really cool. I, I did enjoy the majority of it. The problem I think is that you're fundamentally avoiding your source material or even the, the reason for having this film, which is by and large a villain film, you know, and it's exploiting villains. Yeah. But by the end of it, they're heroes. Mm. You know, that to me isn't, that's losing it. That's almost the kind of thing where you curve around to gain audience. Whereas I think Deadpool was successful because it was unapologetic. Deadpool is neither a hero or a villain. He's just funny, mm -hmm. right? And he's like the stupidest, most annoying funny ever, but it works and therefore it's unapologetic. Mm -hmm. You know, there is no part of Deadpool that's not true to Deadpool, you know? Mm -hmm. And I think that's what Marvel's doing better. If Marvel avoid the comic book interpretation of characters and personalities in a cinematic world, to me, it's usually done better. Mm -hmm. Whereas in DC, it's being done classically. It's almost like, again, Nolan was something no one saw happening. It was an accident. It was a guy that did a trilogy. To set the pace of the current DCU off that trilogy was a wrong move, mm -hmm. in my opinion. Because that should always stand alone. That should be separate. But the interpretation, what we're getting now, Wonder Woman is starting to sort of drift the audience to a different kind of way of thinking, I feel. A lot of people went into Wonder Woman, uh, a lot of the nerds <laughs> and the aficionados and the elitist comic guys were saying it's literally Captain America origin story of a woman. They are wrong. Mm. It wasn't. But I do think it was classic. When you go back to Hollywood's classic days when it was doing the Roman tragedies like Antony and Cleopatra and all of this was done in the sort of technical realm, like Ben-Hur and... Mm. You know, even Gladiator, if you think about Gladiator, to me, Wonder Woman was that. Yeah. It was almost like the classic cinema film, like mm. the technical cinema film. That's what I took from it. Yeah, mm. Wonder Woman was a great film. I did love, like, the plot twists as well. Yeah. Um, if you haven't watched it, go and watch it. Yeah. Because I don't know what you're doing. Wait, wait, <laughs> wait for the Blu-ray and start collecting. But I think you make a lot of valid points, and I, I'm glad that there's a difference in opinion, especially... When, um, what, what the main thing I think is from a filmmaker's perspective is that you enjoy it. Yeah, definitely. And what you said is great. Like the, the reaction that you said where he could kill him, but he chooses not to because he gets an extra whatever. It's, honestly, man, like that's why you should make film and that's what we should be saying. So mm -hmm. there is no wrong or right opinion. Mm -hmm. And I think that if it entertains you, it's done its job. Mm -hmm. So it's kind of cool. And, and, and just to close this down, the, the last conversation I wanted to have here, because next week we go on a completely different tangent, but just to shut this down and all our personal likes while Pete's away, because he can't join in on this. He'll just uh, say something abrupt and silly. Um, God bless you, Pete. But basically, uh, the superhero thing what's really amazing to me is like that bridges into anime for mm -hmm. sure. Mm -hmm. 
you've got two things that start off as a cartoon, mm. okay? They get made into, uh, well, they start off as a comic, then they get made into a cartoon, then they, they literally, if they do well enough, become live action. Yeah. Yeah. They are dominating the world. These these thoughts are dominating the world. Mm-hmm. And I wanted to go back to a point, point oh, okay. that you made um, sure. before uh, about the same thing with anime, about how um, in comic books and stuff like that, kids that weren't born yet were telling you about the comic books. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. So it's a similar sort of thing with anime and especially in um, Dragon Ball Z right now. Dragon Ball has been, not rebooted, but it's been carried on uh, yeah. after like a Continu- very long hiatus. Yeah. 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 It's been yeah. continued after like a really, really long hiatus. And then um, the kids or the people that are younger than me are telling me about this Dragon yeah. Ball. Yeah, yeah, and yeah. they're like, oh yeah, yeah, yeah it's yeah. really cool. Have you seen it? And I'm yeah. like, I was there for the first one. Yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, I think this and it's it's relevant, but I think it's um you know, it's it's kind of like the 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 point is here it's like so to merge these two things when you've got like the comic books especially in America, uh, the reinterpretation keeps them fresh. Mm-hmm. No Marvel and no DC comic has a continuous uh, generational storyline. Yeah. Everything's reinvented, everything's mm-hmm. thrown under a bus and then started again and then mm-hmm. This character's killed off, comes back, and then, yeah. you know what I mean? Yeah, Regenesis yeah. stories, uh, someone else's take, a special spin-off. Mm-hmm. It's all completely um, random, mm-hmm. I, I would put it out there. And that's why anyone listening to this cannot criticize the cinematic universe of both DC and, and Marvel, because staying true to the comics means that it's random mm-hmm. and different interpretations. So you're mm-hmm. actually undoing your knowledge by mm-hmm. saying it's incorrect. Yeah. Well, it then be you fun to compare it to uh, yeah. how it was before and compare it to what, what sort of situations yeah. are happening with these. Well, literally no comic is the same interpretation. Everyone yeah. likes Frank Miller's, but it's different from like the, uh, the original, mm-hmm. you know, Bob Kane stuff. It, it, Everyone's got a different interpretation of everything. And I think that's what makes DC and Marvel fresh. Mm-hmm. It's what keeps them relevant to generation after generation. Now, you'll look at Iron Man and it will be the Downey Jr.'s take on Iron Man. Mm-hmm. It never was when I was a kid. That's mm-hmm. the beautiful thing about these comics being reinventing mm-hmm. uh, and helping modern day interpretations. But we flip to Dragon Ball. It's a good one to flip to because Dragon Ball, ironically... Mm-hmm is um, one, I think, of the... Well, it's the longest-running... At least it's got to be one of the longest-running yeah, anime shows longest ever. Yeah. Um, but it's also one of the most influential, especially for this generation. Yes. So if you're talking Naruto and One Piece and even Bleach, I think they all nod towards having uh, mm. Akira as one of their yeah. idols, mm. the guy who, who created uh, Dragon Ball, uh, and their main influence. So... One thing I will say is that, again, is the only anime I can think of that does have a generational story, sure, Mm -hmm. but has reinvented itself. And it's funny because it's possibly the most popular one in the West Mm -hmm. as well. Yeah. And arguably because it reinvents itself. Exactly. Exactly. So it's got that thing in common. Mm -hmm. But most animations or manga or comics from Japan, the biggest difference they have with the US and the UK comics is that they are constantly a generational story, Mm -hmm. a beginning and a journey around a group of people in their generation or even their next generation or even their third generation Mm -hmm. in time. So I think it's very interesting because I think this would be the closing point of the podcast this week is... Don't you find it quite funny, the difference between we're quite random and spontaneous and very quick-minded in the West. We want 
instant gratification. We want uh, something in front of our face. We don't want to take time at all. We want the next thing and the next thing. We're very competitive with those things. But in the in in the East, the the growth period, the karmatic mm-hmm. structure of things such as Naruto or even Dragon Ball to an extent, mm-hmm. and the fact that they are generational stories, the journey. Yeah, the journey that makes them. I feel like the society is more patient. Like the the, the minds are together then. Mm. And there's only one interpretation you can take, Mm. which means everyone has the same experience. Even though they can protect that experience and defend it, they all have the same experience. And I think Mm. that's why there's less conflict Mm. in the anime world than there is in the Marvel Universe Mm. and DC Universe. And that's why sometimes um, some anime can take uh, years to have a second season. Simply because uh, the East really wants to do it properly. They want to do it right and they don't just want to throw it out so they've got money. I mean, it's literally, I would say, principally about financing. Um, But it's also about interest. The, the, The one sad thing... And this is something I really want to say, Shaq, and I'm glad you said this, is actually what I'm going to end as a point on. Because we'll touch up on this again. We'll have Ty around again. We'll do part two of the anime at mm. somewhere down the road yeah. and comic books. But basically, like, one thing you've just said, which is quite a sore spot for me, mm. is that you have just stated, um, especially in, in the West interpretation of animation, stuff like this, the impatience. Yeah. You will have animes from a different culture, so stories from Japan, okay? And we are lucky. In fact, we are blessed to have them here now because I grew up when we didn't and mm. I grew up where we were quite close to these concepts. Now we're a global market in, mm. in entertainment and so the exposure is, is, is it's been crazy. I've grown a lot um, as, you know, as an old, old lad. <laughs> yeah, I've grown a lot. Even still, I'm growing a lot because the Japanese storytelling uh, mind is incredible it's just they think of things in a totally different way than we do and it's usually a positive not a negative and if something's challenging it's not about giving up it's about pushing through and preserving preserving it or persevering what's the word persevering persevering (laughs) see my teeth i'm saying so it's a good job she hit me every time i need to be punched in the face Mm. but it's it's good about uh that's the thing that i like about it but it's the demand like you will see all over the internet that the average uh, UK, European, or American viewer will demand an episode or almost yell at the yeah. screen almost, you yeah. know, like saying, why is this happening? I don't get this. Why do I have to wait two weeks? This spoiler is rubbish. This this is rubbish and blah, blah, blah. And shouting as if the developers in Japan give a damn. <laughs> I can tell you, they don't. Yeah. And the Japanese mentality in mind, who this is domestic market for, we are lucky. You've always got to see this. We are fortunate to be having it. So consider it a cultural exchange, and we are very fortunate to be exposed to that cultural exchange in the West. We should not be making stupid, asinine demands to Japan when it's almost like, how would you feel if you have um, your domestic movie of the year coming out, which is like a cowboy film, like Clint Eastwood classic, and mm. someone in Japan's like, oh, there's not no, not enough swords in it, and uh, I have to wait for like 55 years for the next one. You know, it's the same logic. It's cultural exchange. Certain mm. things aren't made for you, and they're definitely mm. not made for your demand as a person. So get over yourselves, mm. dudes and dudettes. <laughs> we, um, we love the generational thing in Asia, and a little thing to leave you as a nugget of information with is that 
Dragon Ball is based on one of the best stories from at, at least five, six hundred years ago, which mm. is Journey to the West, the Monkey King. Mm, and yeah. that is why it's a long lasting <laughs> tale. Yeah. Because it's kind of loosely based on it, you know. Mm-hmm. Especially with them in in the earlier episodes with the tail and you know yeah how, well, how with Dragon how Ball yeah tail, yeah Z Z changed again well actually the uh, Japanese name of Goku mm. is the same name yeah. as the Chinese so Goku, it's, a, it's yeah. a direct uh, yeah. translation actually yeah mm-hmm. and certain characters reference certain characters do pop up from the you know mm-hmm. from from the uh, jobby like Chi Chi's dad for example the Ox King oh yeah I remember that oh yeah. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah, we're all with it. Day, oh yeah, it's a long time ago. Oh yeah, <laughs> generational. Mm-hmm. So um, we'll close down. I'd like your back. That cool? Definitely. Yeah. Definitely. And we'll do this again. We'll actually give more light, and you can start um, talking about you know your background in comics because that'll be an interesting conversation. Mm-hmm. And then uh, yeah, we'll we'll just talk rubbish as usual. As usual. As, as, as usual. So we got a busy week coming up. We've yeah. got uh, quite a lot of stuff in preparation for Pete to return, where life will not be quiet anymore, will it? <laughs> <laughs> but we have a very special guest next week, so make sure you stay tuned uh, for that. It's going to be a great episode. Don't want to say too much about it because we want to keep it as an element of surprise. In fact, I'm ordered because Wynn has threatened me with <laughs> a knife to the throat. Because <laughs> you're that kind of a producer, eh, Wynn? And no more tea. And no more tea ever, which, of course, being British, that's death. That's probably worse than the knife to the thought. That is it is too. way worse. Yeah, because one, one of them is like a long torture, mm. and the other one's over in a second. Yeah, that's true. But, you know, it's even longer when the knife's actually made out of rubber, which it was, and that doesn't cut anything. So she's, I don't know what's going on there. Right. The audience can't see my reaction. I'm just playing charades in the corner. Yeah, yeah, that's what she does in the podcast. She likes to uh, make us guess what she's doing. So, I'm going to say that's us wrapped up. Say goodbye, everyone. Goodbye. Thank you very much for having me. Hey, she'll be back. The <laughs> yes. real Urban Oracle. That's what we're calling now. Definitely, definitely. And uh, of course, thank you so much for having me. And uh, yeah, I always have fun when I do this. So thank you yeah, so much. it's been good. It's been a, a bit deep to this week, a bit, bit socially aware. But hey, we're, we're kind of... Uh, we're kind of deep people, aren't we? Yeah, yeah. As, so. as deep as a small puddle. <laughs> anyway... Here's is when she's gonna fill it out. See you later. I'm done. Don't forget to find us on Facebook, facebook.com forward slash male demon, M A I L D E M O N, or find us on Twitter. Our handle is Project FIA. See you next week. <laughs> <laughs>